I want to welcome everybody to church. So glad that you are with us today. And if you are watching online, we're so thankful and honored that you would spend this time with us, wherever you're watching from, our friends in Arizona or Alaska or L.A., all over the place. We're so glad that you're with us. We are currently in the middle, kind of near the end of a series. Uh, the series is called Last Week. Last Week. And what we are doing in this series is we are slowing down, like the writers of the Gospels, we're slowing down on the last week of Jesus' life. We want to look at, at the things he did, the things he said before he went to the cross, and to see what it tells us about who he is, to see what it tells us about ourselves and, and about life and God and life with God. And so we started this a few weeks ago, and we're, we're getting to its conclusion. Now, I just want to preview what's happening next week. So next week is a very special weekend. Uh, we're having a very special resur resurrection weekend service. And what this means is that next week we are going to meet here. We're going to have a special service on Friday at 7 o'clock at the church. We're going to have our Sabbath morning worship like we always do. And then a special Sabbath evening worship, kind of praise night celebration for the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to be celebrating this. This is a big deal. And so we invite all of you guys to come out to that Everyone here, we'd love to have you. If you're hearing about this for the first time and you're in town, join us Friday, Saturday, and Saturday evening. And also to prepare us for that, this upcoming week in our uh, church newsletter and in our Instagram, we will provide uh, reading for each day. So uh, Monday through Friday, we're going to have suggested reading that leads, you, leads us up to Resurrection Weekend. And there's going to be a reading from Scripture and then a, a chapter from Desire of Ages. And so we want to encourage you guys all to join in on that. Each day, take some time. It's about 20 verses each day and then one chapter <coughs> to kind of prepare our hearts and minds for the celebration, the reflection upon the cross, and the resurrection. So with that, I want to invite you guys to join me in this, in this fourth part of this series as we talk about three verses. We're only going to cover three verses today. And we're going to look at a, a, a moment a kind of highlight moment in the story of the last week of Jesus. There's a lot of sad, negative moments in the story of the last week, but there's this one bright spot, and we're going to focus on this bright spot. It only gets three verses, and it's going to be a really, really powerful, really important thing for us to understand why Jesus highlights this, why this is in the story. So with that, let's pray and get into today's message. Father in heaven, I thank you that your disciples chose to spend so much time and devote so many words to the last week of your life. Because, Father, I feel like this time was so important. <clears throat> and I ask, God, that you be present in this place and you help us to be aware of your presence, that you'd help us to hear exactly what we need to hear. Lord, change us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you look at the last week of Jesus and you look at his activities and the things that happened to him and the things he did, you can really sum it up into two different categories. And uh, what the two categories are, basically all he did was teaching, teaching, and preparing. Teaching and preparing. What you'll notice that he didn't do during the last week is strangely, Jesus didn't do a lot of healing. Which is like a staple of his ministry, right? He went everywhere and healed and healed and healed. But the last week of his life, there's only one mention of him healing at one kind of temple session. Other than that, he did a lot of teaching and he did a lot of preparing. And what I mean by preparing is preparing for the cross. Things that happened to him in order to prepare for that moment where he would go to the cross. Now what's interesting about the teaching though is the question of who did Jesus spend most of his time teaching 
during his last week? If you were to guess, I think most of us would say, well, he probably taught his disciples. They're his followers. They've been with him for three years, and he's about to go. He knows he's going to leave, so he better impart his, his greatest nuggets of wisdom and his greatest truth to his disciples. But if you read the last week, the stories of the last week of Jesus, Jesus is teaching most of them were directed not and were not for his disciples. They were for the Pharisees. Isn't that weird? His enemies, the guys who are trying to kill him. So the last week of his life, he at least half, if not most, of his teachings were directed towards the Pharisees. At least in terms of what we have in the story here. Like the amount of words and pages dedicated to his teachings toward the Pharisees far outweighs his teachings to the disciples. And we have to ask the question, why? Jesus, why would you spend the bulk of your time teaching your words, your precious breath, you only have one week of life left, and you directed them and pointed them to teaching the Pharisees, the people most different from you in this moment, your, your enemies? Why would Jesus do this? And I think we just have to like sit back and kind of soak in the reality of who Jesus was. That he chose to spend his last few moments like this. I don't know if you've ever kind of gone through the thought exercise. Like what would you do if you knew you had one year to live? If you knew that in one year it's over. How would you spend your year? I'm sure many of you guys would think about you know, things that you want to do. Things, where, places you want to go. Things you want to see. But I'm pretty sure all of you guys, at the end of the day, the most important thing for you, if you had one year to live, is you want to spend that with the people you love and care about the most. Right? You'd want to spend as much time with your family and your closest friends. You want to spend that time with the people you love the most. So what does it tell us about Jesus that in his last week, he's directed so much of his intention to his enemies? The people who were completely different from him. Who, the, the people who, whose perspectives and attitudes were completely different from him. The people whose character were completely different from him. The personalities were completely different from him. Their behavior and their actions were the complete opposite of what Jesus was about. He chose to invest his time and his teaching to those people, not his disciples. And it just reminds me of the time. Remember that time where Jesus said, what did he say? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And what an awesome person Jesus was that he would choose and, and live that out, right? Like he, he, the son of God, was doing what son of gods do and loving his enemies to the very end. And, and it's true. If you read the stories, if you read the teachings, he has some of the harshest words to anyone, to the Pharisees in this moment, during his last week. His harshest, most aggressive words of rebuke were to the Pharisees at this time. But let's, let, let's stop and think about that for a moment. We get that, don't you? We get that, don't we? That sometimes our harshest words are directed towards the people we love the most. Is that not true? 
The harshest words of teaching, the the most serious words that we have for people are often given to the people we love and care about the most and to the people that we believe in the most. So how crazy is it that Jesus is sharing his tough love words to the people who are trying to kill him? Now, I know that there's no degrees of God's love for people, but you cannot ignore the fact that loving the Pharisees was high on Jesus' priority list at the end of his life. I think he believed in them. I think he believed that if they could just change, that things would be different. I imagine what would have been like, I mean, Jesus' group of disciples, he had everyone, right? He had everyone following him from different walks of life, different perspectives, different philosophies, except a Pharisee. Have you ever thought, what would it have been like if Jesus had an actual Pharisee, if Nicodemus was like, all right, I'm in. How different would his ministry have been? How different would it have looked like? But I was just like reading the, the, the stories of the last week of Jesus that this jumped out at me. Like, why would you spend this time? And I cannot just help but see that Jesus is simply loving his enemies. And if you think about the cross in those terms... I don't know if you've ever thought about the cross in terms of the context of teaching to to love your enemies. Because when we think about the cross, if you're moved by it, you're often moved by the fact that Jesus died for me. And you're like, wow, Jesus died for me. And that's special and that's meaningful. But I don't think you consider yourself an enemy of Jesus. Yet if we think about the cross, who he was dying for, he was dying for his enemies, the people trying to kill him, trying to murder him. And if you think about Jesus dying, not just for his enemies, because here's, here's what I think. I think you guys are amazing people. You are loving people. You're wonderful people. And I believe that many of you, given the, the, the if, if you were in the situation, you would probably die for someone you love. I was going to do a whole poll and ask all the kids to raise their hands if they thought, hey, do you think your parents would die for you? But then I thought that could be weird just in case nobody, somebody didn't raise their hand. So chose not to do that. But I would imagine that most of you would die for people you love. I also believe, here's what I believe. I believe that some of you would even die for your enemies. Like if there was someone that, that hated you and was you know, working towards your downfall, but you knew that you could die for, I feel like, Maybe. I think some of you guys are that awesome and, and, and you have Jesus in your heart that much, you would die for an enemy. But I don't know how many of us would die for the enemies of the people we love. That's a whole different story, right? Like me sacrificing for my enemy versus me sacrificing for the enemy of my children. That's a whole different story. I remember one of my first memories at this church, the earliest memories I have at this church was, I think it was 2016, or maybe 2017, 2016, I don't remember, but it was at our Harvest Festival. And uh, that year, someone had planned the game, uh, my, one of my least favorite games in all church games is uh, tie the balloon or the ribbon to your ankle, right? It's like Adventist WWF, you know, is basically what it is, man. It's like Royal Rumble style, right? You know, you tie a balloon to your ankle, and you have to go around and pop balloons. You guys remember that game? We played it recently, right? That's one of my least favorite games, but we can still keep playing it if you guys really like. But my my memory is this, and, and I don't think she's here, so I can talk about it. But Jen, Jen was playing. Have you ever played this game with Jen before? I remember when they announced the game, I saw her tie her hair in a ponytail, I was like, oh my goodness. 
And she had big boots on that day. I remember those boots. They were terrifying boots, right? And I remember we were playing and playing, and we're like going around trying to do stuff. And then I wasn't trying to pop her balloon. I was trying to pop her children's balloon. And Jen went off on me, man. And I was the new pastor. Like, I just got there, okay? And then she, she grabbed her kids and put her behind her back, and she raised her foot at me. And she said, back up, pastor, back up. Get off me. I was so, so terrified. I was like, oh, my gosh, Jen is a gangster. That's crazy. Andy, how do you do it, man? That's insane. And then, but, but the moment, the thought I had was like, that's a mom, right? Like, that's mom power right there, right? And you're going to protect your chicks, right? It's like she's mama hen protecting her chicks, like, at all costs. And I was like, dang, that's crazy. That's mom power. That's what you do when someone's attacking your children, when someone's going for the people you love. And so I was like, man, it's one thing to die for, for people you love and people who are hurting you, but to die and sacrifice for the people who hurt the people you love, that's crazy. But Jesus was doing that. On the cross. When you think about the cross in the context of love for enemies, it's just, it's just mind-blowing for me. But that's how he chose to spend the last week of his life, is loving and engaging and connecting, albeit in a very harsh way, to the people he loved, his own, his own enemies. Now, that's actually not the point of the sermon. That was just like an observation I had on the last week of Jesus' life, and I was like, oh, i got to share that. The point of today's message I really want to focus on is what happens kind of after this moment. He's like teaching his disciples, and, 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 and the problem for us, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that one of the main concerns of Jesus was this phrase that I shared with you guys. I hopefully you remember from a couple weeks ago, all leaf, no fruit. You guys remember that? That he looked at the, the Pharisees, he looked at the temple, he looked at the city of Jerusalem as being all fake. And he says, these people, just like that fig tree he cursed, all leaves, no fruit. All leaves, no fruit. They look real good, but there's nothing in them. There's no substance. The problem, though, is as Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees for so much of the last week of his life, all he talks about is what we're not supposed to do. Don't do this. Don't be like that. Don't be all leaf, no fruit. And then we don't have an example of what to do instead? Like, that's the question as I read this. So, if we're not to be like the Pharisees, how should we be? And in this moment, in these three verses, someone, this very special person, walks into the temple, and, and Jesus points them out and points to us as this is the example. Don't be like the Pharisees. Be like this instead. And so the story begins in Mark chapter 12. It says, let me, let me read that for you. It says, Jesus, Mark chapter 12, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow, our main character for today, a poor widow came in, put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So in the midst of this teaching about these Pharisees and he's, he's pronouncing these rebukes, he, sit, he sits there and he's watching this thing. Remember, this is Passover. So you have everyone, everyone and everyone and everyone coming to the temple. And they're coming in and they're dropping off their large gifts, large amounts of money as an offering. And then this, this woman, this poor widow, walks in. Now in this day and age, in this time, to be a poor widow is the last thing anyone would want to be. If you were a woman, this is the last thing that you would want to be. It's one thing to just be poor, and it's one thing to just be a widow, but if you were poor and a widow, you have nothing. 
You have nothing. You are, you, you have no value in this society. No one will listen to you. You have no power. You have no influence. Like essentially, if you are a poor widow, you are invisible in this world. It's like you don't exist. You're a ghost. And the fact that she was a poor widow shows us something. You see, God had all these laws in, in the Torah where the community of people are supposed to take care of the poor widows. Like, you're supposed to help out the people in need. Like, that's how God built his kingdom. So the fact that this woman was still poor and a widow meant that her own community was not caring for her. So she's truly, truly alone. Truly, truly invisible. Truly unnoticed. She's a ghost to everyone but Jesus. No one sees her, but Jesus does. Some scholars say that Jesus was, was, was talking about this woman, and this woman walked in, possibly for a very specific reason. If you look at the teachings of Jesus right before this, right before Mark chapter 12, before this woman walks in, listen to what he says to the Pharisees. It says, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets, right? All leaf, no fruit, all leaf, no fruit. The next verse says this. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So before this widow walks in, Jesus talks about how these Pharisees have taken advantage of widows and have targeted widows to take their stuff, and then this poor widow walks in. Some scholars believe that this widow was a victim of some of these Pharisees. A ghost. No one to take care of her. No one to advocate for her. No one to protect her or defend her. But Jesus sees her walk in. Amidst the crowd of all the rich and wealthy people with all the fanfare, Jesus sees this poor widow. And I want to share a, 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 two excerpts from Desire of Ages on this. And it's, they're a little bit lengthy, but it's so worth it, okay? So, so we're going to kind of set the scene. Jesus is sitting there, and, and he sees this whole thing happen. Listen to what Ellen White says in Desire of Ages about this experience. It says, Jesus was in the court where were the treasure chests. And he watched those who came to deposit their gifts. Many of the rich brought large sums, which they presented with great ostentation. Jesus looked upon them sadly, but made no comment on their liberal offerings. Presently, let's get on the screen. Pre One more time, sorry. Presently, his countenance lighted as he saw a poor widow approaching, approach hesitatingly. As though fearful of being observed as the rich and haughty swept by to deposit their offerings, she shrank back as if hardly daring to venture farther. And yet she longed to do something, little though it might be, for the cause she loved. Like the, the, the picture that she paints here is Jesus is sitting there, okay? And he's sitting there and he watches the guys come in. No reactions. And maybe the disciples are like, wow. He just dropped his car keys in the box. Wow, he just dropped his house deed in the box. Wow, Jesus, did you see that? And he's like, meh. 
And then all of a sudden, he leans in. And he looks. And his eyes get bigger. And, his, and a little smile starts to form on his face. And the disciples are like, oh, what was he looking at? And they look, and they see nothing. And they see no one. But he saw this woman walk in. And he looks at her. And he can't wait to see what she's going to do. His face, I love that. His face, his countenance lighted up. His face lit up when he saw this poor widow walk in the room. He saw her. He saw this invisible woman that nobody else sees. And I just love that about Jesus. Like Jesus sees the invisible. Jesus notices those who go unnoticed. Like no one slips through the cracks with Jesus. Even a poor even a poor widow. His face is lighted up when he sees this woman. It's bringing joy to him to see her walk into this room. Even though she's humble, even though she's scared, even though she's nervous, he's drawn to her. Jesus is drawn to this woman and his gaze is fixed on her. Jesus sees her. Jesus sees you. I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life where you felt invisible, where you feel like your, your life and your contributions and your purpose and your value was invisible. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you felt like your, your pain and the suffering that you were going through was invisible. You come to church, you put a smile on your face, and you pretend like everything's okay, and it doesn't seem like anybody sees you. Jesus sees and he sees your pain. He sees your suffering. He sees your joy. He sees all of you. And it's possible that you light his face up when he looks upon you. I love this about Jesus. Let's continue on in the story. Ellen White continues to write, she looked at the gift in her hand it was very small in comparison with the gift of those around her, yet it was her all. Watching her opportunity, she hurriedly threw, into two, threw, threw in her two mites and turned, haste, her turn to hasten away. Like she tried to bolt right after that. But in doing so, she caught the eye of Jesus, which was fastened earnestly upon her. Like, can you just picture it? He like can't take his eyes off of her. He's watching everything she's doing, this poor, poor widow. The amount of money that she gave, she was embarrassed. She wanted to go in anonymously, and she wanted to sneak out anonymously. She didn't want anyone to look at her because the amount of money she was giving was so small, she was embarrassed for anyone to see. But scholars say that the amount of money that, that, she, that she gave, the, 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 the Greek word that is used here is, is a lepta, a lepta. She had a lepta, and lepta literally means a tiny thing. Like she just had a tiny thing. That's all it says. And it says, it, which was amounted to a quadrantis. A quadrantis is the smallest denomination of Roman money at the time. It was the least, the smallest thing you get. So it's, it's equivalent to either a penny or a dollar in today's world, right? A penny or a dollar is all that she had to give. So she was embarrassed and she went in and she dropped it and then she tried to run away without anyone noticing because she was assuming someone would laugh at her, someone would judge her, Someone would be concerned. Someone would think that, what is she doing? How dare she do that? Come back with more next time. But in so doing, the, the, the eyes and the gaze of Jesus was fixed upon her. Next section. I love this. I love this. Listen to what Jesus does in response. 
It says, the Savior called. The Savior called his disciples to him and bade them mark the widow's poverty. Listen to this part. Then his words of commendation fell upon her ear. Of truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. I love that. So Jesus is like, hey, guys, 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 come here. So he had no response so far to any of the gifts, any of the wealthy people that came in and gave so much. No response. Hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. And he's about to say this thing, but he says it loud enough, just loud enough for that old poor widow to hear it. Like he wanted to say this to his disciples, but he wanted to make sure that she knew as well. And he says to them, she gave. this. Look how poor this, this poor widow. She gave more than all of these people combined. And I love the fact that he wanted to anonymously, he, he, he respected, respected the anonymity. He respected that she wanted privacy, but he knew that he needed to encourage her and to share with her his appreciation for her gift. And so she says this right afterwards. Tears of joy. Tears of joy filled her eyes as she felt that her act was understood and appreciated. Sometimes that's the best feeling, isn't it? Jesus understood her motive. And she believed the service of the temple to be of God's appointment. And she was anxious to do her utmost to sustain it. She did what she could. And in her act was to be a monument to her memory through all time and her joy in eternity. And then it says this. Her heart went with her gift. Its value was estimated not by the worth of the coin, but by the love to God and the interest in his work that had prompted the deed. Jesus wanted her to hear, I saw you. I saw what you did. I saw it. And I love you for it. I love it. I love what you did. And I know that you, you want to be secret and you don't want anyone to see, but I want you to know your Savior your heavenly father sees you in this moment. And so she was filled with tears of joy because she was understood and appreciated. I think it's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what truly brings joy to his heart. But let's think about what we're learning here. We're learning about what brings joy to the heart of God. We're learning what Jesus is impressed by. We're learning what matters, what Jesus values. And so the, 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 the scripture tells us his response, his actual response was this in Mark 12, verse 43 to 44. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. I want you to pay attention to the language. He doesn't say she gave more than any one of these. She, he says she gave more than all the others. All of these combined. And I don't think Jesus was being hyperbolic here. I don't think Jesus was being overdramatic. I think he truly saw this woman's heart and this woman's faith. And he said what she did was bigger and greater and more impressive than all of these guys who came into this place combined. What she did was just that beautiful. But I think we have to take a moment to reflect on what, what she really did and what truly impressed Jesus about her. And it's pretty simple. 
right? It's pretty simple. What, what Jesus was truly impressed by was her faith. And, that, and that's pretty basic, right? Like Jesus values faith. And, and we know that. Like, like she, he valued this, this costly, this sacrificial, this very risky faith, this very risky act of faith. Jesus valued that. This, this faith that was rooted not in duty but in devotion, right? She, she believed in it. It was rooted in conviction and worship and a desire to serve God. Like that, that, that faith that came from there. Not, not born out of selfish desire, like, oh, if I give this to God, then God's going to give this to me, which is oftentimes how we approach God. If I do this for you, if I serve in this way, if I give this, if I do these things, God, you're going to do these things for me, right? No, no, it, wasn't, it didn't come from that place. It came from a place of worship and devotion and conviction. And Jesus, in that moment, with the riskiness of that faith, he was blown away and so impressed by this poor widow that nobody else paid attention to. So we know that though, right? You guys know that, right? We know that Jesus values faith. That's like the most basic thing ever. Like that's 101 of Christianity. Jesus values faith. You know that, right? But I have to ask the question again. Do you know that? Do I know that? Do we really know that Jesus values faith? Because let's be honest, and this is where it's going to get harsh truth time, okay? Let's be honest. We know that Jesus values faith, but is this not true? That most of us dedicate our lives to building a life that does not require any faith. Is that not true? We work so hard so that one day we will never, ever have to, and you've probably used these words before, rely on anyone else, even God. Like, this is what we dedicate so much of our lives to. And some of you are in school so that one day you can have a life where you don't have to depend on anyone, that you have no question if you're going to be okay. We build our lives in order so that we don't have to have any faith at all. Yet we sit here and think Jesus values faith. Something does not make sense. For if you are a follower of Jesus and you know that Jesus values costly, sacrificial, risky faith born out of devotion, worship, and conviction, yet we live our lives so that we don't even need God and we don't have to trust in him and we don't have to rely on him, there is a problem. There is a disconnect between the what we believe and how we live. I mean, if you think about it, okay, and even in terms of church, right, because oftentimes, let's be honest, we label decisions and acts of faith as irresponsible, don't we? If you saw, like if I met this woman, if this woman walked, to the, walked into the church and she says, Pastor, I want to donate my life savings and I want to donate this, 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 this little bank account that I have, I want to give all I have to the church, I would say, whoa, 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 hold on, lady. Are you sure about that? Are you sure you want to do that? Like, I, I appreciate the thought. I really appreciate the thought, and I love it. And in my mind, I'd be like, all right, dude, this is not going to do that much. So it's better for you to just keep it and take care of yourself. Like, it's okay. Like, even for me, I'm like, do I know and really believe that Jesus values faith? When it comes to our church, right, let, let's say today, I made an announcement. So, all right, guys, Rock Fellowship, we're going to take on this brand new project. Or we're going to hire a new pastor. Or we're going to build a gym. And I said, but we don't have any money for it. How would you respond? 
I don't know, I don't think that I'm gonna get a round of applause in that moment. No one's gonna be like, woohoo, act of faith. No, I know what I would get. I would get a lot of questions. As soon as the worship is done, a couple of people would talk to me and say, hey, and everybody would be very nice about it. Hey, 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 so, so tell me, what's about, tell me about that thing. Tell me about that project. Oh, so what's the plan? Where are you going to get the money from? Where are you going to, no, 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 right? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I don't know, but I have faith. Your thought is going to be, wow, Pastor Chris is irresponsible. We need to get rid of him right now. Right, if I was like, we're going to build a gym, but I don't have, I don't know where we're going to get the money, but we're going to do it because we believe that's what we got to do to serve our community. We got to have faith. You'd be like, no, dude, that's not how it works. You know, to be honest, I, I look back on the last couple of years of ministry and there's this one regret I have. And it was, came out of a lack of faith. How many of you guys have come to church one day and we, we finished church and went to potluck as we usually do because we love potluck, we love eating, we love being together in community. And then you felt like, hey man, this fellowship hall is getting kind of small. It was getting kind of tight. Like there's a lot of people in this room. When we built this building a couple of years ago, I didn't have enough faith. I didn't think we needed a bigger space. I didn't think the church would grow this much. And now I'm looking like, dang, we should have built a bigger fellowship hall. We should have built a bigger building. We should have spent more money. We should have expanded a lot more because look what God is doing. I look at that, I was like, man, I lacked faith in that moment. I didn't have that, 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 that conviction. I didn't have that faith in God that he would provide because we're going to do something for his glory. I didn't, didn't have that. And then every day, every Sabbath, I look at that full fellowship hall. I'm like, dang, i got to have more faith. I'm going to leave this church if I don't have faith, man. So I'm really challenged by this message and by this poor widow. We build our lives so that we don't have to have faith. Yet we oh, no one understand that Jesus does value faith, in fact. Something has to change. When we look at this woman, I think we have to realize that Jesus wants to point out to us. These Pharisees, this city, this temple, all leaf no fruit. Bad example. Don't be like these guys. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the temple. All leaf no fruit. You know who you need to be? Be like this poor widow. She. She is fruitful. This is the person that you need to be like. Don't, not my disciples. My disciples are not even there yet. When, they were, when, when the people were giving gifts, they were awed and inspired by the people giving all the expensive stuff. But I want you to be like this poor widow. That's your example. That's your shining light. Look at her faith. We have to ask ourselves the question, what role does faith have in my life? Does it have any role in my life? Is there an area of your life that you do not have control of? That you are not forcing control over? Is there any room for God to move in your life? Is there any place for faith? And I mean faith not as a belief system and your faith as a Christian, but no, your faith, your trust in God, born out of conviction, worship, and passion. Where's that? Where's the role of faith in your life? Do we have that? Do we have that in church? Do we have a place for faith to risk and do things that are costly and sacrificial because we are worshiping and being devoted to our Heavenly Father? Do we have place for that? When I look back at my few years, I'm like, I don't think I have. I don't think I have. But if we believe that, come on, guys. Let's start living like it. Amen? Let's start doing church like we believe that Jesus values faith. Because if I look around, I don't know if that's what our lives 
really show. And so if you, maybe some of you are in a place in your life where there is an area and you have yet to give that to God. And there's a conviction, something welling up inside of you that you know requires faith in God and it's going to make you uncomfortable and you've been pushing back on it. I want you to take this message as a message from the Lord that you need to have faith, that you need to trust. And I don't know if that means financially or time or, or whatever or a decision, a move. I don't know what that is. But if you feel like God is calling you to an act of faith, look at this poor widow but look at Jesus' response to the poor widow. And know that in that moment, when you make that decision, the light of your Savior will, the face of your Savior will light up in that moment. You know, I, I, I could imagine that, like, if you remember what Jesus is about to do, right? Jesus is going towards the cross. Every day is a countdown to the cross. And it's going to be a time where he, will be separated from the Father like never before. He will be separated and in darkness like never before. And in that moment, all he will have, all Jesus will have in just a few days is faith. Is faith in his heavenly Father. In faith that the message the Father has given to him. In faith in, in the Father and what the Father has said about him and his life and his destiny and his purpose. All he would have at the Garden of Gethsemane on the cross is belief that what the Father said about him was true. And so you can imagine as he's walking towards this day when all he would have is faith. What was it like for him to see this woman? What was it like for him to see this poor woman exercise and act out her faith in such a way? I mean, I feel like in that moment for Jesus, the reason it lit up his face is because this woman, I think, inspired Jesus himself. He says, oh, that's right. That's right. That's what it's all about. Like there are people that trust in me. There are people that still love me and will trust. I can do this. And that's just my interpretation and speculation on things. But given the context and what, what, where this story lies and why is this random three-verse story in it when this is really not the point, I feel like we have to see that this is how the heart of God is moved. What is the role of costly sacrificial, risky faith born out of devotion and worship and conviction? Where is the role of that kind of faith in your life? And I don't have an answer for you, but I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to struggle with that and think about where, what is the role in place of faith in my life? What steps do I need to make that I may not know the outcomes and I can entrust the outcomes to God? Now, I want to close today's message uh, by doing what Jesus did. Because Jesus saw an act of faith, and he respected the anonymity of it, but he still wanted to encourage and, and talk about it and bring it forth to the people. So I want to do what Jesus did. And I want to, I want to uplift someone anonymously and secretly, I'm not going to tell you guys their name, who did something that I felt like, man, that, that was it. That was it. And it brought joy to my heart to kind of experience this and read this when this person sent this message to me. You know, in our world today, you could argue that, like, time may be even more valuable than money, you know? You would rather pay someone to do something if it'll save you time, right? Time, a lot of times, is as valuable or more valuable than money. And I know you guys, and I know your schedules, and for some of you, like, when it comes to time, you're broke, 
right? You're bankrupt in time, and like, you got no time. And you've probably said that about your life. I have no time to do anything. I have no time. I have no time. My, my schedule is jam-packed with all kinds of things. And so there, there was a time when um, there was a person in our church who was asked to take on a role and to serve in a position and, and do some things. And it was a fairly time-consuming position. And I knew that it was a... Uh, it would be difficult. And then I knew the person. And I knew this person was extremely busy, right? Like this person is broke. This person is, is in, in, in debt when it comes to time. They got nothing. They got nothing extra. They got no margin. They got no savings when it comes to time. And so I, I, I honestly thought this person was going to say, listen, I thought I was going to get the typical answer. Thank you so much for considering me. I would love to help. But I can't for a number of different reasons. I know what that means. I know what that means. And I'll still help out. I just can't be in charge. That's a typical response, all right? And I get that. But I want you guys to read, I want to read to you guys the response that this person gave me. And, and the sole reason I'm doing this is because this is what Jesus did. He honored faith because he knew what faith did. This is what this person said. Thank you all for considering me for such a big responsibility. I prayed that no matter what busyness I have to manage along with other church work and kids' schedule, that I trust God to help sustain me and give me the endurance I need to have many roles this upcoming year. So I will trust that God is leading. And that's someone from our own community. And I know maybe it's not the same thing, you know, it's not, maybe it's not the same thing as the widow who gave her last money to, to the offering and she had nothing to live on. And I know that maybe it's not the same thing, but I thought it was a powerful example just in this church alone where someone's stepping out in faith, trusting God. And maybe it's not, you know, the, the outcome of it would be, you know, so terrible if it didn't work out, but I thought it was awesome. And it brought a face, it brought a smile to my face and it brought joy to my heart that one of our members, in the face of, of, of a big responsibility with the little time they have, would be willing to devote it, trust God that he would sustain this person and get them through it all. I thought it was awesome. So we have faith moving in this church. And I want to close once again just by asking that question. What is the role of faith in your life? Jesus values faith. You get that. But do you? Do you value faith? Let's pray. God in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your word today and once again for the challenging thoughts and teachings from your last week. I pray, God, that we, whoever is here in this place listening and watching, if there is an area of life where we need to take a step in faith and trust, Lord, move us to there. Lord, thank you so much that that widow walked in in the right moment at the right time to show us something so, so beautiful. Lord, as we celebrate and think upon the cross and the resurrection, let us remember that you are trustworthy, that you have a plan for our lives, and that our lives and our days are in no more, in no more secure place than in your hands. Lord, show us the way and help us to move in faith and trust in you. In your name we pray.